0: Hello, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer, and you're listening to Spotlight On, a special series from WebMD's Health Discover Podcast. I want to start off today's episode with a quiz, a question, and that's what's the body's largest organ. It's the skin. How many of you have got that right? You know, even though the skin's an organ, sometimes we dismiss skin conditions. Oh, it's just a rash. But hopefully by the end of this episode, you will understand that skin conditions, rashes, need to be examined by your doctor. Specifically today, I want to talk about plaque psoriasis. It's a disease that affects more than 8 million Americans. And over 80% of people with psoriasis experience plaque psoriasis. Now, instead of me doing all the talking, I've invited some experts to join me. My first guest is Ingrid, who's joining me from North Carolina. Ingrid, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. I want to start off with, when did you first notice that something about your skin just seemed a little different?
1: Mm -hmm. I think I was about nine years old, and I remember looking in front of a mirror and wondering why... Something was itchy on my scalp, and why whenever I scratched it, it kind of bled a little bit.
0: And what did you think? What was going through your mind?
1: In retrospect, I'm not sure what was going through my mind. I think I was nervous.
0: Yeah, I can't remember when I was nine, so I, don't, I don't blame you. But you know, the, the first couple of times, did you just think, "Ah, eh, that's not so bad"? What made you think, "Huh, I better have someone look at it—a parent or someone"?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's because it just kept bothering me. I don't know how long it took until I finally told my mom, but I remember telling her and she was like, you know, maybe we should go get this checked out
0: by the doctor. Was the idea of psoriasis even on your mom's radar screen? Had you ever heard that word?
1: No, I'd never heard of the word psoriasis up until that point. I don't think my mom had either. In fact, it was after I was diagnosed with psoriasis that we started to ask around and see if there were other people within our family who had it. Turned out my dad's like second cousin or something had it. And then over the next 10 or so years, my brother developed it and then my sister. And then as of last year, my mom now has psoriasis as well.
0: So you have this itching on your scalp. Mm-hmm. You talk to your mom about it. And then you went to see your doctor. And what did the doctor tell you at that time?
1: I imagine, you know, he told us that it was a skin disorder, um, that it was autoimmune. I remember learning, you know, what genetic means at that point. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting started on a variety of different types of
0: medications. And then that's fairly young, although it can happen at times to have psoriasis. Mm -hmm. What were your teenage years like? Because it's a condition that manifests on the skin. What were you hearing from your friends?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's funny. I remember there was this one student in middle school who always made comments. And I don't think he ever meant for them to be hurtful. But I think as a you know 12-year-old, 13-year-old, it's inevitable to feel some type of way. And I remember there was one time right before school photos where he had said something like, why is there dandruff in your hair? And I was like, it's not dandruff, it's Mm macerosis. So I definitely think it kind of affected me from that perspective a little bit. Um, I have the tendency, I suppose, to wear like long pants or like long dresses or long skirts. But I think overall, I've been um, as intentional as I can be to
0: not let it really affect me. It started to affect other areas of your body as well. So it started on the scalp. Mm -hmm. But then where did it start to move to?
1: Honestly, just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, My legs, my arms. In fact, I'm not sure if I've shared this yet, but when I was in the seventh grade, it actually spread so much that I ended up being hospitalized for about five days because it just covered like over 90% of my
0: body. And then you also developed plaque psoriasis. How old were you when you started to experience those plaques?
1: It was probably a few months after I first noticed it on my scalp. Okay.
0: Now, we know that psoriasis can have a, flares, some ups and downs. And for many people, there are certain triggers. It could be stress. It could be you know, too much exercise. What do you find are your triggers that impact your psoriasis?
1: My triggers would be, let's see, stress is definitely one of them. If I don't sleep well enough, if I miss my medication, and I think, but the biggest thing I
0: definitely think would be stress, stress from school, stress from anything, (laughs) So how do you manage it? Stress can be difficult to manage. So you have to manage stress. So then you have to manage your psoriasis. Uh, yes. So how do you, how do you address that?
1: A few different ways. I think that on the one hand, um, when something becomes too overwhelming, like in the moment, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have like peaceful pauses. Um, and then overall, I think it's really important for me to find ways to de-stress as a person, whether that's You know, journaling or um, going to parks, going on runs, that really helps me a lot. Spending time with family, spending time with friends.
0: And how has your journey changed over the last few years? Is it different now that you're older? You've lived with it longer. Is it easier or is it harder now?
1: I would say it's easier for sure. We tried so many different things growing up with my medication. I think I finally found something that's helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also think that I've kind of learned to put my identity in other things. Mm -hmm. And in the last three or four years, I actually am a medical student now. So
0: congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And I actually graduate in May. So my focus has been more on that.
0: What was your experience? Let's go with that first doctor when you were nine years old.
1: The first doctor, I think, was a primary care physician. I remember they were the first one to kind of pick it up. I think they were very respectful. I think they did a great job with talking with my parents mm-hmm. and explaining things and helping me feel comfortable. The next one after that was one of the like dermatologist specialists. Right. And again, he was fine. I think, honestly, the first like three to four dermatologists were fine. And then we moved to North Carolina and I had Dr. Feldman.
0: Now, did you want to see the dermatologist or was your condition progressing and your primary care doctor recommended that you needed different therapies more so than he or she were familiar with?
1: I think it was more the latter. I think that they did not feel comfortable necessarily treating it themselves. And so they told me to go to
0: a specialist now, here you are a medical student, ready to graduate. <laughs> yes. First of all, may I ask you what you're going to go into?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go into OBGYN. Okay. All
0: right.
1: Yes, sir. <laughs> Not dermatology.
0: <laughs> did your patient journey, how did it influence your medical school journey?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I love Dr. Feldman. He's a fantastic dermatologist, and mm-hmm. he taught me a lot about what it means to really make people feel comfortable, um, to hear people, to make them feel like safe within a doctor's office. And I think that taught me a lot about what kind of doctor that I want to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Frankly, very early on, you, I, I didn't want to be a dermatologist because I did not want to work with skin. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just felt like it hit too close to home, almost. So in that sense, it influenced me in that way. But in the other sense, I think that patient perspective of recognizing that that other person is going through a lot of different emotions and experiences and that their particular condition um, is affecting them in a variety of ways and trying to really be as empathetic as possible, I think, has really influenced me.
0: Do people take plaque psoriasis seriously or do they think, as as I kind of referenced, at the beginning of our episode, ah, it's just a rash. It's just the skin. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think that early on?
1: I think so. I don't think that I took it as seriously as I could have. I think that if I did, I probably would have kept up my medications as frequently and as seriously as I should have <laughs> when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I think it is really easy to kind of look at it and just be like, oh, you know, it's just another thing that happens, but it is a serious thing.
0: That's not just for the young Ingrid. We, we see that <laughs> time and time again. So so why is that? Because in some ways, you have this condition, right? It has its flares, but we don't always explain as doctors, as you reference, that autoimmune component, the fact that it can impact other areas of your body, mm-hmm. that it's not just the skin. Was that communicated well to you? Because that could have impacted as you point out, how you were with medications?
1: I think that it probably was communicated, but perhaps it didn't sink in. Perhaps it was just like me not registering what was being said when I was younger. Maybe I was just not being as thoughtful about it, but it wasn't until I was probably like 18
0: or 19 where I really started to take it seriously.
1: I actually, I did have, start having some joint issues
0: Mm-hmm. Now, did you think it might be relating to your psoriasis or did you think, oh, I, you know, I just overdid it that day? Did you make that connection, even though you might've heard it once or twice?
1: I think I initially thought that it was more likely to be something secondary to running or doing mm-hmm. something along those lines. But eventually I realized, oh, actually this is my psoriasis. <laughs> so,
0: We'll be back with more from Ingrid after a quick break. And now, back to our interview with Ingrid. What's the biggest misconception about plaque psoriasis?
1: I suppose it would be that, like, if you really wanted to, you could get rid of it. Like, if you do all the right things and you take all the medication, that it'll go away. But sometimes, you know, my brother, he's on very similar medication to me and his is still kind of not as well-controlled as mine.
0: Tell us how you're doing today.
1: Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> um, on the one hand, I'm doing great because it's my fourth year of medical school and it's probably the most relaxed I will have in a long time. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I'm doing great because my psoriasis is very well-controlled. I have like one area on my right leg that sometimes is itchy. But aside from that, it's gotten a lot better.
0: What would you tell listeners who are diagnosed with plaque psoriasis or see a scaly, itchy rash that they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. What do they need to know, Ingrid, from your story?
1: I think it would be to not be afraid to speak up and to share it with their physician and to take it seriously and to take the medication as regularly as they can. hmm
0: it's the one or two things that you're going to take from being a patient that's going to make you a better doctor?
1: I hope that my experiences will always remind me to be as intentionally empathetic as possible and to be mindful of how the other person is feeling whenever I'm in the room with them and to make them as comfortable as I can and to listen really, really well. Because I think that sometimes... Even as a medical student, it's just so easy to have all these different thoughts running through my head of, I need to finish this, or I need to write this down, or Mm -hmm. I just saw this person, don't forget about that. But to really be present with whomever I'm speaking with, and in that sense, like listen to their story as well as I can, and in that way, be able to better understand what's going on and help them as best as I can.
0: But you also educated yourself. On the condition and learned (laughs) about it, right? You found a physician that you felt comfortable with. You spoke up, as you said, and you went to a couple different primary care physicians, dermatologists, until you found the right one for you. Mm -hmm. And you tried different medications until you found the ones that worked for you. And you started to recognize the importance of, being compliant, you know, taking those medications mm-hmm. you know, as you need. So you've done a lot of work here. I want to give you credit <laughs> for, for what you've done and, and how you've made it uh, easier journey for you. Because as you point out, a misconception is you use medication for a little while and then it'll go away. But because of the underlying pathophysiology of the disease, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. What's the future hold for Ingrid?
1: (laughs) The future. I am excited to graduate and to hopefully start residency soon and then practice, hopefully, in North Carolina um, Mm -hmm. or elsewhere in the South. And, yeah, just kind of keep chugging along.
0: (laughs) Well, Ingrid, the future of medicine is bright, knowing that you'll be starting (laughs) in just a few months. I want to thank you for taking time today.
1: Thank you, Dr. White.
0: My next guest is Dr. Steve Feldman. He is a professor of dermatology, pathology, and public health sciences at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Dr. Feldman, thanks for joining me. My pleasure to be here. You're also the host of Medscape's In Discussion series, so I uh, have to be on my toes today, so thank you. But I want to start off with, I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you know, the skin's the largest organ. But even with that fact, sometimes people don't take skin conditions seriously. Do you see that in your practice?
2: Well, in practice, the people who come to see me are clearly bothered enough by their disease that they come in. So there's a little bit of selection bias going on in what I see. I think one of the things that may make skin disease seem like it's not as big a deal is that it's so common. I think when people are used to seeing something, they pay it less attention, whereas something that's really out of the ordinary really catches the, the human
0: mind. Now, full transparency, as you know, we chatted with Ingrid a little earlier. Ingrid is one of your patients, and she talked about she first noticed her symptoms of psoriasis and early on plaque psoriasis at the age of nine. Is that unusual to be diagnosed that early? I thought that was a condition that usually occurred a little later in life.
2: Yeah, psoriasis can occur at any age, but pediatric psoriasis is less common. The age at which it most commonly occurs would be 18 to
0: 24, somewhere in there. Okay. Now, let's talk about what are the common symptoms, particularly of plaque psoriasis. Because as you pointed out, rashes are common, Even rashes that make one feel itchy can occur fairly often. So how might you know that the condition you have is psoriasis? Because Ingrid told us she wasn't really sure what it was and her mom wasn't even sure what it was. They had never really heard those words. So what kind of are the key points that listeners might wanna know to kind of point them to, hey, This might be something that the doctor needs to look at.
2: Yeah. So if you have a rash, you don't know what it is. I'd go see a dermatologist. I think that's the best way to find out with near certainty what the problem is. Common areas of involvement would be the scalp, the elbows and knees, the belly button, that part of the lower back, you know, the technical term I'm talking about, the crack. The lower back. Uh, Yeah, the crack. Uh, would be uh, Mm -hmm. a a common area of involvement. Genital psoriasis is not unusual. You can have little changes in the nails. Uh, When psoriasis gets into the root of the nail, it causes little pits in the surface. And when psoriasis gets under the nail, it causes separations of the nail from the underlying skin. So if I see a rash on the scalp and I'm wondering, is this just seborrhea or is this psoriasis? I'll look at people's fingernails for signs of psoriasis.
0: Now, what about timing? Because rashes are common, lots of times people will just wait it out or apply some type of lotion. We do know that psoriasis reoccurs. So people, realistically, Dr. Feldman, aren't going to go see a dermatologist at the first time they see a rash. So, what's the time element that people have to consider here?
2: I'm not sure. I I think if you had a rash that bothers you and you don't know what it is, I mean, if you were out in a patch of poison ivy and you know you got poison ivy, that's one thing. But if you have a rash and you don't know what it is, it might be time to see at least your family physician who may, um, who may know exactly what it is and what to do.
0: And to be fair, Dr. Feldman, everyone can't go see a dermatologist. There are some areas of the country where it can be very hard to get an appointment in a timely manner. And because We know that rashes come and go. Uh, By the time they get the appointment, they may not have that rash anymore. So it's always a good idea, and I tell this to my patients, to take a picture of that rash that they can then send to their doctor or at least show it to their doctor if the day that they go, they don't particularly have any symptoms.
2: I love that idea, by the way. I just would ask that the picture be a really good quality. Yeah. You want to get the lighting right. You want to make sure the skin is in focus and that the camera's not focusing on some lines in the furniture in the background. There's some simple things you can do to
0: make sure you get a good photo. Sometimes it's easier to have someone else take it as well. We, we get confused when we're trying to do a selfie when it relates to skin. But let's kind of walk it through because Ingrid had some great comments about the way that she interacted with the medical community. She had great things to say about you, but she didn't see you right away. So let's kind of walk through that journey where we can advise listeners. So realistically, most don't go see a dermatologist. We know that. Most go see their primary care physician. And typically, you know, we see people apply some type of perhaps hydrocortisone cream or some type of, you know, lotion but that's not usually enough for most people with psoriasis, is it?
2: No. We use topical steroids, um, but the over-the-counter stuff, especially the hydrocortisone, is not going to be strong enough for... Well, again, there could be some selection bias. Mm-hmm. If it was strong enough and it worked, I wouldn't see the patient. So, but my, certainly my impression is that the hydrocortisone is not strong enough to deal with
0: psoriasis. Right. Now, what should patients be thinking about as they go to the primary care physician, or maybe they go to the dermatologist. And let's be realistic, and correct me if you disagree, most have tried something at home to begin with. And because it's psoriasis, it reoccurs, there are flare-ups, it progresses to other parts of the body. What needs to be that dialogue with physicians? Because even Ingrid will say, and she's very well-educated, you know what, she didn't always take her medicines. She didn't always realize how serious this condition is in terms of impacting other organs and other parts of the body. So where's the breakdown that's going on in terms of the physician-patient relationship?
2: Yeah. So I try to be precise because of my nerdy scientific background. Mm -hmm. And we say patients, you know, have all tried something at home before they come see us. What does that mean they tried it? Does that mean they put it on regularly twice a day for two, three weeks to see how well it worked? Probably not. My research has been on patients' adherence to treatment, okay. where we put computer chips in the caps of the containers that would record the day and time people open and close the bottles. And we find that patients will say in their treatment diaries that they
0: use the stuff twice a day, and the computer chips say they didn't open the bottle. Mm. People want to please the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to be a good student. Yes,
2: people floss their teeth right before they go to the dentist. Mm -hmm. I think this is the biggest reason patients don't use their medicines is that doctors tell people, here's a prescription, use this every day. I'll see you back in eight to 12 weeks. You know, if a piano teacher said, here's your sheet music, Mm -hmm. Uh, we won't have weekly lessons. I'll see you at the recital in eight to 12 weeks. You just practice every day. Nobody would expect anybody to practice. Doctors are actually worse than that. Doctors are like a piano teacher who says, here's a prescription for some sheet music. Take it to the sheet music (laughs) store. I have no idea what this is going to cost or whether your insurance company is going to pay for it or how much paperwork it's going to take. But I want you to fill this prescription for the sheet music. I want you to practice this sheet music every day. Now, you should know that practicing may cause rashes, diarrhea, possibly a serious infection. We're not going to have weekly lessons. I'll just see you at the recital in two to three months. And if the recital doesn't sound good, I'll give you a second, maybe a third musical instrument to practice at the same time. And we doctors are scratching our heads wondering why patients aren't using the medicine. But Ingrid's one of the good folks who says, I'm not doing it. So the bottom line answer to your question is I want patients to tell me what is reasonable for them. Okay. I think there's two kinds of psoriasis a mild form where you have few enough spots where you can reasonably put topicals on, Mm -hmm. and an extensive form where you can't reasonably put topicals on, you're going to need to use some kind of internal medicine or total body ultraviolet light treatment. And um, I need the patient to tell me if they can put topicals on all the spots. I may go, yeah, you could put topicals on all the spots when that particular patient won't do it.
0: What does it take to get patients to clear skin? Here they have... You know, plaque psoriasis, it can cover large areas of the body. Well, if you have a relatively limited case of psoriasis, for example, scalp
2: psoriasis, Mm -hmm. and you put the clobetazole solution on your scalp with the help of a friend to make sure it gets down on the scalp and doesn't just end up on the hair, because... Well, Dr. White, I see you have a lot of hair. Mm -hmm. It'd be really hard for you to get it on your (laughs) scalp. But if you did, if you get it twice a day, in three days, you see dramatic improvement in the psoriasis. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're covered with psoriasis, topical therapy is not reasonable. With um, an injection, once every two or three months, you have like a, I don't know, 50% chance of being completely clear and uh, probably a 90% chance of being nearly
0: completely clear. What's the biggest misconception about psoriasis?
2: Biggest misconceptions about psoriasis? My guess, among the lay audience of people who don't have psoriasis, the biggest misconception is that it might be a contagious condition. And it may be we're genetically programmed when we see skin lesions to avoid people because you know, a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago, maybe it was a sign of leprosy. So, you know, when, when people with bad psoriasis try to go to the swimming pool, they're not contagious, but, mm-hmm. you know, you could see why somebody might not know mm-hmm. and, and have misconceptions about it.
0: Plaque psoriasis, a chronic disease, is that how you'd categorize it? Because Ingrid actually said a misconception to some degrees that it's cured, and, but what she meant is it reoccurs, right? It comes back. You can put it in remission, but is it like hypertension? Is it like high cholesterol? We like to tell
2: patients it's like diabetes. Hmm. And that, you know, when we give them a medicine and clears it up, don't expect that you can stop the medicine any more than a diabetic could stop their insulin.
0: What's their reaction to that? Because if you don't see something, you're thinking, huh, why do I have to still take medicine?
2: Yeah, well, I think... um, Patients want to know whether they really need it. When you clear them up, they're like, well, do I need to keep taking it? And I tell them, yeah, you probably need to keep taking it. You know what they do? They play games with it. They spread out the doses. They may stop for a while.
0: But this is our job, though, as physicians, as prescribers, to explain to patients in easy ways that they can understand why it's so important to continue to take medication, even when they have clearance?
2: Yeah, education may be important, but I think we overestimate its importance. And I think when we think if we give patients education and if we give it to them in writing, they will do what they're supposed to do. I think to get people to use their medicine well, we have to be trustworthy. Even more important, we have to appear trustworthy because whether we are trustworthy or not, doesn't impact patients' behavior. What impacts their behavior is whether we appear trustworthy to them. That and creating a sense of accountability in patients, I think, is the foundation of getting people to use their medicine. And then we have to get them in the habit of doing it. Without that habit, I think all hope is lost. I think education is actually peripheral to some of these other issues Hmm. for getting people to use their medicine
0: well. But it's also reminding them and helping explain to them how different medications work. Right? So even as we talk about topicals and injectables and, you know, infusions, whatever it may be, even when we're talking about topicals, they're all not steroids either, right? So we also have to explain that if you don't respond to one type of topical, you might respond to a different type, because we're talking about the mechanism of the disease. Dr. Feldman, what's your message to listeners who have been diagnosed with plaque psoriasis or are struggling with plaque psoriasis in terms of getting that clear skin that you referenced that many patients now do get? What's the message? Know that there are fabulous treatments available. If you went to a
2: dermatologist years ago and was frustrated because there wasn't any option you really liked, you may want to go back. Second, before you go back, go visit the psoriasis.org, the National Psoriasis Foundation website, mm-hmm. and educate yourself about the options so that you have a sense of, of what things you might want to consider, and then, and then see a dermatologist
0: well, Dr. Feldman, thank you for taking the time. Uh, you say you're kind of nerdy and sciencey, but you, you really helped explain it for our listeners, so thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Ingrid and Dr. Feldman for being part of our show today, and to all of you for listening to Spotlight On, a special edition of our Health Discovered podcast. I'm Dr. John White, the Chief Medical Officer for WebMD, reminding you that better information leads to better health. Until next time.